Good Thursday. This is Ozarks at Large for September 15th, 2022. I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. First today on our show, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs has announced plans to provide emergency abortions to veterans, including those residing in states with recently enacted abortion bans and restrictions. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Under a new Department of Veterans Affairs interim final rule, pregnant veterans and VA beneficiaries will be able to obtain abortions if their life or health is in danger. VA patients whose pregnancies were the result of rape or incest will also be eligible for emergency abortions, even in states where such procedures are banned or restricted. The VA's decision is the consequence of a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling to end a 50-year constitutional protection to abortion, leaving individual states to control reproductive rights Arkansas, one of 26 states so far, to have enacted certain restrictions or total bans post-Roe, immediately criminalized all abortion procedures except to save the life of the mother. In response, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs ruled, irrespective of new state anti-abortion laws and policies, to make sure veterans can receive emergency abortion procedures. I was very surprised because the VA is not known for being a trendsetter. Barbara Aguirre is a U.S. Air Force veteran who served from 1981 to 1987 stateside as well as in Europe. The retired postal worker is also a member of the American Legion Post in Rogers and is engaged with various veteran resource groups in the region. She's an enrollee at Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks, which provides comprehensive health care for women. Agari has compassion for women now suffering the consequences of Roe being declared unconstitutional. I know that at the top level of the VA, it's almost probably close to 90% male. And they don't always make the best decisions for us because they can't. You're talking about two different sexes here. But on this one, somebody stepped up and said, hey, You know, we trust women to make their decisions. They're just like men. They can make just as good of decisions. So here we are. We're going to let them. And and we're going to help them. That's the main thing. We're going to help them. And that's awesome. The VA's new abortion health care policy will be authorized immediately upon publication of the interim final rule, after which it will take comment for 30 days. The VA says it plans to provide these services in as many locations as possible. Kate Kitterman served as a U.S. Navy corpsman from 1978 to 1981, primarily based in the U.S. Her last duty station at Marine Corps Air Station, El Toro in California. She was a hyperbaric chamber technician and a water survival instructor. While serving, she says she was a victim of sexual assault. So this is an issue that's very near and dear to my heart. I was not pregnant, but like many of us, you know, we had to suffer through those times and we uh, paid the paid price and still are. Katerman says the VA has stepped up to help women take control of their own bodies in crisis. But I think it also definitely will impact troop readiness. Women should be able to have the same options for family planning that men do. Um, We should not be forced to have a child or lose your career. Many women are in sensitive positions. They can't just be moved to an administrative position for nine months. You have to be ready to go into combat in a moment's notice. You have no choice. That's what you signed up for. That's what you pledged to do was to defend your country. Pro-life advocates reportedly claim the VA's new emergency abortion rule abrogates a 1992 law that prohibits the VA from performing surgical and medical abortions, as well as the Hyde Amendment, which restricts federal funding for abortion. In response, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs argues that nothing can impede their agency from updating the scope of needed medical care to include abortions. In a statement issued the day of the ruling, VA Undersecretary for Health Dr. Sharif El-Nahal says the decision was made after veterans and VA health care providers across the country sounded an alarm 
post-Roe that abortion bans and restrictions are causing a medical emergency. The new rule, El Nahal says, will assure life-saving emergency abortion care. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. The new normal at the corner of West and Dixon in Fayetteville is the sound of construction work. As crews work to build a new parking deck just across the street in the Bradbury Amphitheater Rose Garden at Walton Arts Center is Peter Lane, president and CEO of Walton Arts Center, along with a group of stakeholders representing tourism, business owners, and the University of Arkansas, announcing their plan to commission a comprehensive study to evaluate the parking needs in the area. That area is bound by Lafayette Street on the north, Meadow Street on the south, University and Arkansas Avenues on the west, and St. Charles and Block Avenue on the east. Lane says they have a couple goals with the study. To assess existing parking supply and demand in the area. Second, to document public perceptions of and experiences with parking in the area. And an estimate of future parking demand for the next three to five years on proposed and already approved projects. Another major component of Dixon Street is the businesses lining the area. Bill Waite is the owner of Dixon Street Liquor and says it's been a great joy to own a business in this part of Fayetteville, but... There's always a but. Any business owner down here can tell you operating a business in the entertainment district comes with its own unique set of challenges, not the least of which is parking. Now, for a business of any size to be successful in this region, you must have adequate, convenient, and proximate parking. And that's always been a challenge on Dixon Street. And as density and development continues to increase, it becomes even more challenging to maintain the parking infrastructure necessary to support a vibrant performing arts district. So a very good question that I wondered myself heading to this event is this. How do you study parking? If you're a planning and design consulting firm like Kimley Horn, you do it in two ways. The first is a quantitative study. They will assess existing parking supply and demand and, with that data, provide recommendations if additional parking is needed, how many spaces, how it should be managed, and potential locations, both for the current situation as well as future demand in the next three to five years. The firm will be on site for three weekends, September 22nd through the 24th, during the run of Pretty Woman, the musical, which is taking place at Walton Arts Center, September 29th through October 1st. During the weekend, the Razorbacks will be hosting Alabama in football, and October 7th and 8th, during a non-event weekend. They will also be conducting a qualitative study which will include interviews with local businesses and other stakeholders in the district, as well as surveys of current and past customers of the businesses. Justin Tennant is a former city council member in Fayetteville and a member of Walton Arts Center Council and Board. And he says this study is going to be helpful not just for current residents of the city, but for those visiting and making sure they can make their way around the area. It's very important for people who live and work in this area uh, who may still drive to work or need a place. The university might need more as they grow and expand this way. But what I'm also seeing is let's say there's a hotel or two that are being proposed, which there are. That's a difficult thing because we're going to have out-of-town people coming in, maybe who have never been here before. And if those people don't have a place to park, then are they going to frequent the hotels? Are they going to frequent the restaurants and make it more difficult to access this area? So it's a combination of both. I think it'll impact the residents, but it'll also impact future development and businesses. One concern about this growth in the area is for residents who may struggle to find parking in front of their own homes. Justin said he talked to some residents right before this press conference who told him they are concerned. Because a lot of them has re- have resident reserve tags for their wherever they live, and they have to fight for parking along the street. Many times just they don't even park in front of the home that they're renting or living in. They have to find another one somewhere. So, yes, they're very worried about, now, wait a minute, what if a 
150-room hotel opens up with no additional parking being provided, they're just going to spread out. People are worried about more and more people coming down here with the only option is going into these residence areas. And, and we're talking one block that way. We're not talking about a mile from here. And so I'm very concerned about some of these people who have voiced concerns saying, I'm worried about where I'm going to be able. Can I even live down here now? Much less, you know, the cost burden is, is rising. But also if you have no access to available parking and really no access to public transit down here either and there's only so many electric bikes there's only so many things that you can rent or do and if you want to go far that's not an option so it's a very big concern for the residents and i fully understand why what excites you the most about this what are you most hopeful about with this study well i think growth down here is inevitable there's so much happening and with the university growing to thirty thousand plus students businesses are taking hold you see new businesses going in that are catering to students i think the walton art center is in a unique position to do more education to students and to do more programs centered around other things than Broadway. Um, And they do it now and they'll continue to do that. So I think the need is going to be great for development down here. But the problem is it has to be smart development or you just create a bigger problem. And then developers are going to look and say, but wait a minute, I'm not going to spend this many millions of dollars if nobody can get to me or nobody can get away from me. So that's my most exciting thing is the growth is going to happen, but let's make it smart growth so that we're not five, 10 years from now in a bad position. This this study will give us that data that says, as it expands, you know, in the future, they're going to give us a future opinion of what is needed down here. And it's something that I just don't have the expertise and we don't have the expertise to do. And these people really do a good job. This is Ozarks at Large. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. On the program, State DHS Secretary Cindy Gillespie shares thoughts on a state hospital financing crisis. She spoke recently with Roby Brock on our Sunday television show, Talk Business and Politics. Also on the program, we will have the latest numbers from the Skyline Report, examining the residential and multifamily real estate markets in Northwest Arkansas. And a former Trump cabinet member is scheduled to appear next month in Bentonville. We'll have all of those stories after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. There is a potential hospital financing crisis in Arkansas. Pandemic funding is dwindling, inflation costs are driving up the cost of supplies, and there is a widespread staffing shortage, particularly among nurses. Cindy Gillespie is the director for the Arkansas Department of Human Services, and she discussed those funding issues in a recent interview with Roby Brock. You know, as we've all gone through the last uh, two and a half years, since March of 2020, when the COVID pandemic began. One of the things that has happened with hospitals in our state has, is that their normal sources of revenue really went down. Um, I know from here, when we watch Medicaid, what we started to see is hospitals were dealing with um, having to change beds over so that they use them only for COVID, right? they began to have staffing shortages and issues and had to reduce the number of beds. A lot of their revenue often comes from outpatient. And if you'll remember, we pretty much cut off doing all over the country, everybody cut off doing outpatient. Uh, Folks did not go unless it really was an emergency. So you didn't do outpatient surgeries, you didn't do outpatient visits. And the hospital's revenue 
dropped enormously as they went through this period. So while they were really battling on the front lines to keep people alive and well, their normal sources of revenue were declining. At the same time, their expenses were rising. And um, I think I saw recently some national statistics the cost of labor over this last two years inside our hospitals has increased about 20%. The cost of supplies has increased also about 20%. And the cost of drugs has increased about 20%. So when you see, you know, it's it's been a, for many of them, it's just been a perfect storm, right? Revenues going down, expenses going up. And what we are all looking at right now is, the issue, and we've been working with a number of hospitals um, here over on the Medicaid side, when they need some help uh, by being able to get an advanced supplemental payment, we work with them on that. We, we do things to help where we can. And most hospitals, while this has been very rough for them, are able to figure out a plan to get back to sustainability. We have seen revenues to go back up now. We have seen people are going back to the doctor, people are going back into the hospital, people are getting all that outpatient surgery caught up and all the outpatient visits. And so revenues are back up and are starting to rise. But there was a long period where they didn't get their revenues. So if if you were not robust enough going into this, it really, really depleted. And so what we're doing right now is trying to anticipate working, being able to have a way to help hospitals Mm -hmm. who may find themselves now in jeopardy. You have talked me out of wanting a second career as a hospital executive. So just know that you've accomplished your goal on that. (laughs) Um, You mentioned the advanced supplemental Medicaid payments that uh, the state is participating in. Are there other things that the state can do? What else do you see as potential solutions on the horizon, Um, whether it requires policy changes or legal changes or what what are some things that are being discussed? I'll mention a couple of things. Right now we are Um, undergoing rate reviews on the Medicaid side. And I um, know the hospitals are doing the same with uh, the private insurers and with with other payer sources that they have to be able to look and see, all right, with the change labor costs, with the change supply costs, do the Medicaid rates themselves for hospital services need to change? So we've got that underway and that should be done by the end of this year. And so that should help recognize the changed environment. But um, More particularly, um, this past week, one of the things we did, well, actually last week, one of the things we did was went to the ARPA Steering Committee um, and asked if uh, we could get $60 million put into a fund that DHS, DHS could have to be able to provide some short term to support to a hospital that came to us that was in immediate jeopardy of having to close their doors. Um, That request for the funding was approved by the steering committee. It will go before the legislature next week. And then if approved, we will put out um, an application by mid month so that if a hospital finds themselves in that state, what we would be able to do is provide basically up to three months of payroll uh, for them, which would give them an infusion of cash that could help them have the time to put together a sustainability plan. That's Cindy Gillespie, who's the Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Human Services. For more of that conversation with Roby Brock, you can visit our sister website at talkbusiness.net. According to new real estate reports, the average home sales price in northwest Arkansas rose by almost 27% in the first half of the year, compared with the same period last year. The multifamily vacancy rate fell to 2.3% from 3.4%. Those are some of the findings of the latest Skyline report on residential and multifamily real estate in Benton, Madison, and Washington counties for the first half of 2022. The biannual reports are sponsored by Arvest Bank and completed by the Center for Business and Economic Research in the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. 
Former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos will visit Northwest Arkansas next month for a political event hosted by Governor Asa Hutchinson. America Leads, an Ideas Summit, is scheduled for October 19th and will be held at the Momentary in Bentonville. Former U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice was announced as the keynote speaker in June. Other presenters announced include Steve Case, Tom and Stuart Walton, and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. And despite falling gasoline prices in August, consumers still faced a 13.5% increase in food and grocery prices from a year ago. That marked the 15th consecutive month of rising food costs, according to a Tuesday report from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. For those stories and more, visit us at nwabusinessjournal.com and our sister website, talkbusiness.net, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore, and I am in the Herald and Blanche Calk News Studio with my friend Timothy Dennis. Hello, Timothy. Hey, Matthew. We have got a whole host of music to talk about here. Why don't you go ahead and get us started here? Okay, let's start with tomorrow night. JJ's Live in Fable is going to have the contemporary country artist John Langston on okay. stage. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. Tickets for that are $20 today. They go up to $25 tomorrow. That'll get underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, again at JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. In Midtown Fayetteville tomorrow night, Nomad's Trailside is going to have a rock show of various stripes featuring Simeon Basil, The Traveling Squirrels, and Project 1268. show gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night at Nomad's Trailside in Fayetteville. Alrighty. Happening at JJ's on Weddington in Fayetteville, The Odds will have a set. Oh, okay. Great local band. Yeah. That show gets underway at 8.30 tomorrow night again at the JJ's on Weddington in West Fayetteville. That's right. Happening up in Benton County, Butterfield Stage is going to have a show featuring Leighton Robinson and the Bernie Sisters. Hmm. being at Rail Yard Live. It is a free show. It'll get underway at 8 o'clock again tomorrow night at Butterfield Stage in downtown Rogers. Happening over in Siloam Springs tomorrow night, Creekside Taproom is going to have local artist Will Saylor mm-hmm. on the stage. That'll get underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Creekside Tap Room in Siloam. Another Americana artist in Siloam Springs tomorrow night, Parkhouse Kitchen, will welcome Samantha Hunt to their stage. All right. That also gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at the Parkhouse Kitchen in Siloam. Happening over in Eureka Springs, Gotthold Brewing is going to have the duo Barefoot and Sunshine in their beer garden. Uh-huh. They're an Americana and Roots duo. That'll get underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night, again in the beer garden at Gotthold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Then down in Fort Smith, Majestic tomorrow night is going to have a country show with a splash of red dirt. They're featuring Kyle Nix and the 38s and RC and the Ambers. Tickets are $12 today, go up to $15 tomorrow. That gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night at the Majestic in Fort Smith. All right. So that takes care of Friday. Jumping ahead to Saturday, 
George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have their own show featuring the Bernie Sisters and the Steven Seagulls. Oh, okay. I love that name. She was a fast machine. She kept the motor clean. She was the best damn woman that I've ever seen. She had the sightless eyes to tell me no lies. Knocking me out with those American thighs. Taking more than a share. Tickets for that show are $20 advance. They go up to $23 on Saturday. That gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday evening again at George's in Fayetteville. Okay. Also in downtown Fayetteville, Saturday night, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to have the King Cabbage Brass Band mm. on their stage. Should be a lot of sound in that room. Yeah, no kidding. Cover for that show is $10. That'll get underway at around 9 o'clock Saturday night, again at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. Happening earlier in the day on Saturday, it's the Cane Hill Harvest Festival at Historic Cane Hill. I'll be there, baby. They're going to have a lot of music throughout the day. Yeah, the festival, it starts at 7 a.m. I don't think music starts quite that early. Neither does Matthew. Um, <laughs> but they're going to feature music from the bands Raising Cane Hill, uh-huh. East of Zion, Plaid Magpie, Statehouse Electric, who I've had here in the studio before, the Cane Hill Billies, and Mountain Gypsies. That's fantastic. Again, that's happening at Historic Cane Hill through the day Saturday. Happening in Bentonville Saturday evening, Ashton Barbary and the Barbarians will be on stage at Bike Rack Brewing Company. Awesome. I should know better. Part of their patio concert series should get underway at about five o'clock Saturday evening again. Bike Rack Brewing Company in Bentonville, and the momentary in Bentonville Saturday is going to have Japanese breakfast. Should be a good show. They're also featuring Pura Coco at that show, who's been on our lunch hour before. That's right. Fantastic act. Tickets are $45. That'll get underway at about 8 o'clock Saturday night at the Momentary in Bentonville. Also earlier in the day on Saturday is the 39th annual Windfest. Mm. Now, you may not be familiar, Matthew, because you're not. a little bit newer to the area. Windfest obviously has been going on for almost 40 years, and it's a day in the fall where they have a lot of music, a lot of music. This year is no exception. They're featuring the bands Monk is King, Brody Buster, Chucky Wags, Brickfields. Isaiah's All-Stars is doing an Allman Brothers tribute. Mm. The band Gone Country, Maud Crawford, and the Slow Town Serenaders. Okay. Music gets underway at about 11.45 in the morning. Tickets are $20 in advance. They go up to $25 on Saturday. And that takes place at the Winslow Ballpark off of Highway 71 down in Winslow. Very good. Okay. Now jumping ahead to Sunday. Okay. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have Buddy shooting the Motivators on stage. Yeah. Now, I'm told this is going to serve as something of a triple EP release party. Okay. So they're celebrating the official release of the EP with Buddy shooting Mark McGee, which uh-huh. we've talked about on the show previously this year. Yep. There's also a new EP from Buddy Shooting the Motivators and a new EP by the Procrastinators, another group that Buddy's a part of. Okay. So I guess if you get motivated, eventually you procrastinate. Cover for that show is $8. That gets underway at 6 o'clock Sunday evening. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. And at Fayetteville Public Library on Sunday, they're having the next edition of Sona Beyond Voces Latinas. It's curated by Sona musician Raul Mongoya, and it will reportedly take the audience on a trip from Mexico through the Andes. Mm. It's presented as part of the library's observance of Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah. Gets underway at 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, again at Fayetteville Public Library. Okay. And then Sunday afternoon up at the Momentary, they're going to have a courtyard session featuring Michael Fields Jr. Okay. Great bass player in the realm of soul and R&B music. Uh, 
that is a free show at being in the courtyard, and it'll get underway at about 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon again at the Momentary in Bentonville. All right. And there's a lot more going on. But as always, you can find a full list at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. That's right. Timothy Dennis, thanks so much. Thank you. their voices in autumn as well as their shapes. No longer do they whisper to one another in muffled tones as they did in summer. They talk in a different leaf language now. The wind moves through the boughs like fingers drawn across the strings of a harp, filling the air with the harsh, dry sound of sapless leaves. It is the main theme of the autumn music, this murmuring counterpoint of dead leaves. English poet Winifred Emma May, best known by her pen name Patient Strong from The Glory of the Garden, a book from 1951. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with the second movement of The Fall of the Leaf by Imogen Holst. Imogen Holst was a British composer, arranger, conductor, teacher, musicologist, and festival administrator, and the only child of the composer Gustav Holst. She composed this piece in 1963 for her friend, cellist and pianist Pamela Hent O'Malley. The piece is described as a set of three short studies for solo cello on a 16th century tune. This particular movement, recorded by cellist Stephen Iserlis in London in April of 2015, is filled with melancholy and gently falling melodies.
that was Imogen Holst's The Fall of the Leaf for solo cello, interpreted by Stephen Iserlis. Fall is made of many colors, many landscapes, many emotions. Argentinian composer Azor Piazzolla wrote Las Cuatro Estaciones Porteñas, or The Four Seasons of Buenos Aires, originally for piano solo, around the same time when Imogen Holst wrote her piece for cello. Piazzolla's piece is a general evocation of the changing seasons in Argentina, more specifically in the port city of Buenos Aires. Let us listen to Otoño Porteño by Astor Piazzolla. That was Argentinian composer Azor Piazzolla's Otoño Porteño, arranged for guitar by Sergio Azad and interpreted by New York-based Australian classical guitarist Rupert Boyd. September is here, colorful changing trees and falling leaves in our beloved area, and the certainty of beautiful old and new music out there to help us enjoy and endure life changes. 
This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. Enjoy. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis, and joining me in the Herald and Blanche Kalk News Studio are KUAF's General Manager, Lee Wood, and Jasper Logan, KUAF's Community Engagement Manager. Welcome. Hi. Oh, We've hey. got a lot of stuff coming up, don't we? Yes, we do. Where should we start, Jasper? Uh, we should start at the lunch hour. So yes. this Friday, um, from noon to one, we will have the lunch hour take place. It is our monthly concert series where we highlight local artists and local restaurants. And I'm super excited about this month specifically because we'll have local hip hop artists from Little Rock named Avian Aaliyah. And then we'll have food from Island Ooh, Vibes, yes, which I'm really excited about. I'm very so, excited about so tell food. us a little bit about Avian. Like, what what would you say about her music? Yeah, you know, she's nice because she's at this very interesting spot. She has one EP out, um, and so she has a lot of room and potential to grow into like really. I think she's still in a space of like shaping, like you know, who she wants to be and how she wants to be seen, and music wants to be heard. Um, but she's super talented. She can rap. She can sing. She's like a mix between like Missy Elliott and Aaliyah, you know. And then she has these like really good wordplay with her rap. So I'm super excited to see her perform. So that plus Island Vibes tomorrow plus at Island the station. Vibes. Yes. yes. At, at noon. At noon. Music yeah. starts around 12, 15-ish. Yeah. Sounds uh, So that's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Then Saturday. Saturday. And then Saturday, yeah. Saturday, we're partnering with Crystal Bridges for uh, Constitution Weekend. Yeah, yeah it's like a whole weekend. weekend. Well, they have a special copy of original of the Constitution, yep. and they're doing all kinds of programming about what the Constitution means to you, right. what, about freedom of speech, about those. And there'll be speakers kind of all weekend long. And then we're curating music. Yeah, so we got the opportunity to curate some of the music during that 11 to 4 p.m. block. Yes. So if you go up to Crystal Bridges from 11 to 4 p.m., you'll hear some of the music that we've gotten to curate. So some of the performers have performed at the lunch hour, which is a a nice connection. And then some are new. So we'll have um, Potococo there. We'll have Eddie Canyon there. We'll have DJ Raquel. Um, We'll have uh, singer-songwriters Josh Noren and Sarah. Lily. So it'll be a really good time. And then we'll be interviewing them, um, getting their thoughts on the Constitution and what it means to them and, and all of that good stuff. So so that's Saturday at Crystal Bridges. Saturday yes. at Crystal Bridges from 11 to 4 p.m. Yes. Okay. And then Sunday. <laughs> then Sunday. And then Sunday, we will be in downtown Springdale with Interform. They're hosting the Model Citizen Rally and Register event. There's information about voter registration, information about the upcoming midterm elections. Uh, there's going to be giveaways, and there's we're just one of the participants. There's many. So that's going to be a great opportunity to come out, get some information, register to vote, learn about some of the things that are on the ballot coming up in November. Uh, and you'll see KUAF there, too. Yeah. Yep. And that's not counting all the stuff the Natural Elections crew is doing next week. Mm -hmm. No, that's a whole other deal. And (laughs) on top of that, it's fundraising month of KUAF. It is. Yeah, we like to do everything all at once. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it is fundraising month, and every gift that comes in in September, we're counting toward our overall goal of $150,000. We're up above $23,000 raised so far, which is great. We're going to do the on-air portion of the fundraiser the last week. So we'd like to begin that portion with as much money raised as possible gets us, you know, within sight of that goal. And of course, these are vital funds that are needed to pay for programs like Morning Edition, all things considered. 
Ozarks at large, right. everything you hear on KUAF, the lunch hour, like listener support makes all of these things and so much more possible. So if you haven't supported KUAF yet in the month of September, you do still have time and you can do it at supportkuaf.com. Yep. Okay. Can we find about five more events to fit into next week just so that we have plenty to do? I bet <laughs> you that we could, nah, <laughs> but we're not 100%. going to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. There's plenty, and there's a lot going on, and I hope to see some people here tomorrow yeah. at the lunch hour. It's a great way to kind of start that busy weekend. It's one yeah. of my favorite times of the month, the lunch hour. I hope to see a lot of people there as well. Yeah. Lee, Jasper, thank you so much for stopping by today. Man, thanks for having us. Thanks. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Arkansas PBS will air the three-part documentary, The U.S. and the Holocaust, Sunday, September 18th through Tuesday, September 20th at 7 each night. The latest film from Ken Burns, Lynn Novick, and Sarah Botstein explores America's response to one of the greatest humanitarian crises in history. MyARPBS.org slash Holocaust for more. The Momentary in Bentonville presents A Divided Landscape, a new free exhibition featuring the work of seven contemporary artists as they confront the historical and cultural narratives of the American West. Open now through September 25th. Information at... Pinocchio, the puppet who yearns to be real, is once again a trending figure. A major new translation of the original novel is on store shelves now, and that translation is the first autumn reading recommendation from our frequent guest, Clint Schneckloth. He recently told Ozarks at Large's Kyle Kellams the original novel holds up well after nearly a century and a half. Well, I have pulled up uh, something that is also going to be in everybody's attention because it's a new uh, live-action film, but it's the the basis for the film is the book written originally in the Italian, The Adventures of Pinocchio. Right. We, Disney Plus has a new live action. And then Netflix, I think, is going to have Benicio Del Toro's right. take on it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like an explosion of these. Right. Um, well, <laughs> there was this translation done of um, Carlo Collodi's uh, novel. Um, and it, I th- it, w- it was done in 2010. 20- 21. Um, so this is not exactly like completely new, but it's relatively recent translation. Um, and I was reading about it actually, and interestingly, in it was it was there was a whole article about it in the University of Wisconsin alumni magazine. My wife went to the University of Wisconsin, and they were interviewing like the translator and why they did this or whatever. And I was like, huh, that's a I, first of all, I didn't know that was a classic. Like, I, I only knew it from, from Disney. Right, Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Right. And the culture, like, who doesn't think about noses and lies. Right. Um, but the the translator makes the case and does so in an even more extended way in the introduction to this book that it's, a, it's like a classic of world literature. The novel is. And what... Um, what they're trying to do with the translation and republication of it out of Penguin Classics is especially to not allow it to be kind of put over in a corner as children's literature. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with children's literature. I think a lot of us love children's literature, but that's not necessarily how it should be classified. But it gets characterized that way, again, because of the Disney movie. So I picked it up... um, over at Pearl's Books, placed an order for it and got it in. And um, the first thing I would say about it is it's kind of like reading Don Quixote. Okay. So it's a quest novel. And if you've ever read Don Quixote, uh, the way – I mean, and this is likely related to the fact that they're of the similar era. Mm-hmm. You know, so novel writing was different in that early phase of novel writing than it is now. And the kind of the whole way that Don Quixote is structured is every chapter, they sally forth on the next thing. Right. Right. And of course, a, a typical quest novel, which is what Don Quixote was peri- like doing satire of, would be a serious sallying forth, you know, some kind of adventure of some errant knight or whatever. Don Quixote, of course, is crazy. And so it's all bizarre and weird instead right. of normal quests. But it's still, it's the quests. So Pinocchio is structured that same way. As soon as Pinocchio emerges from this 
wood that uh, uh, his father carves, you know, mm-hmm. Geppetto. Um, he starts going out, and he's a, a rascal, you know. Uh, so and some of these things really do parallel the, the film, and in, in, in the film isn't completely off from the novel. But there is this um, level of adult rascalness, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, that really isn't in the movie. Um, so he gets into really major trouble over and over again. And in fact, this gets to be really interesting. In the middle of the book, which is not the, at first was going to be the end of the book, he, it ends with him being uh, hung. Pinocchio. Yeah. Oh. And then that's not in the cartoon. No, <laughs> this is not in any Disney cartoon. No. We don't have hangings of Pinocchio. Right. They do. We can separate Dumbo from his mother, but we're not going to do that. Yeah, we can kill Bambi's right. parent, but yeah, right. okay. Anyway, um, and then there was such a kind of a call from his readers to continue the storyline that he found a way to okay. not have him actually be dead there, hung, and then the story continues, etc. So it's it's also satirical. It's really funny. And what's probably the most interesting about it, I think, and why I would recommend that people uh, take a look at it is, it, so it's a quest novel, mm-hmm. but it's also a social awareness novel like Charles Dickens. Oh. Um, so you think about this. Uh, what isn't Pinocchio, even in the Disney universe? Pinocchio is not a princess. Oh, true. No royalty. That's true. Right? That's no white. There's, not Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, Pinocchio is this puppet made by a poor uh, carver. And in the novel, this is illustrated in a major way. Everybody's hungry. Mm. Uh, Geppetto suffers and almost starves because of the ways that Pinocchio misspends any money that he does have. Everybody that Pinocchio meets is struggling. And so it's a social commentary novel, and that's one of the arguments the translator's making is like what uh, Carlo Collodi was really trying to do was do a very um, powerfully written uh, social commentary novel wow. making use of this puppet as the kind of the trope. Do we get any backstory on Geppetto? Because – He's he seems my memory, and it's been a long time since I've seen the cartoon, is that he's a sad, lonely man who wants, you know, a boy. That's a faithful companion. to the novel too. Uh, well, uh, it's more of a, it merge. It, it just emerges from this thing okay. that he gets in in the novel. But he is sad, and he's always missing Pinocchio because Pinocchio is never around. Pinocchio is always running off, not doing what he's supposed to do, and then oh. isn't around. I don't know if I want to reveal okay, the, okay. the the later part, but Geppetto makes some odd decisions as a result of being lonely, which results in some a major surprise, <laughs> like about three quarters of the way in. Okay, uh, which in a, in a way, not to over, I don't want to overstate that this has a narrative drive in the same way that modern novels do, because mm-hmm. it is an old, you know, uh, in that older period of the, each chapter of its is its own thing. Other interesting fact about this book, which I did not know until I read it, that it is the second most translated novel in the world. Behind Don Quixote? No, uh, Don Quixote has been translated a lot, but the first most translated novel in the world is, do you want to try to guess? Well, I guess translation can work the other way. Is it from English to another language or is it? This is, uh, so this is another language, not English. So it's from that language. It's a neighboring Uh, country. A neighboring country to Italy. Italy. Um, the Little Prince. So that's intriguing too, right? So two quote-unquote children's novels. Right. Both kind of magical in their own oh, ways. Very much so. Right? Right. Um, so a lot of similarities, really. Clint Schneckloth is lead pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville. He spoke with Ozarks at Large's Kyle Kellams recently. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vista, and Clyde. Contributors today included Jacqueline Frolick, Kyle Kellams, and Leah Uribe. The Northwest Arkansas Business Journal with Paul Gatling is produced by Stephanie Brock. Thanks for listening and have a great day.